Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi there, I'm Roger Fox and you're listening to Garden Better, the podcast from Better Homes and Gardens, where we dish the dirt on all things gardening. With me is my co-host, Jenny Dillon. Hi, Jen. Hi, Roger. How's it going? It's going well. And what's been happening in your gardening patch since we spoke a couple of weeks back? Lots of bad things. Yeah? What's what's Weeds. Up? Oh, they just sort of said, look, she's away. Let's go and play. Yeah. They're just coming up everywhere. It quite... is a time of year for them, isn't yes, it? It's it certainly a, is. The bit of autumn rain sets things off and then we're sort of... Uh, on the back of them all the time trying to keep things under control. But in this episode today, we will actually talk about weeds um, because we're going to take a look at lawns and what you can do to keep them in top shape through the cool months, as well as offer some ideas for countering one of the worst of garden pests, the possum. Um, and we'll also talk herbs and how to use them with Ellie Vernon, the food editor at Better Homes and Gardens magazine. And don't forget, um, we've got a chat with Milton Black, Australia's favourite astrologer, and he's going to give us some tips on gardening by the moon and an interesting little project for you. Okay, so let's get started, Jen. Um, now, lawns. If you love your lawn, and most Australians do, then you need to give it a little TLC in autumn so it goes into the cool weather in healthy, robust shape. And my message with lawns at this time of the year is threefold, feed, weed and patch it up. So let's start with feeding. What's your pattern, Jen, with lawn feeding? In autumn, yeah. feeding, feeding's essential. I mean, all that summer love means that the lawns are pretty exhausted, don't you yeah, think? Yeah, absolutely. They get really worn down, don't yeah. they? And then do another feed, um, I think, in midwinter, but mainly, mainly because sometimes lawns look as though they're losing colour in winter. They, they look a bit faded, but it's they inevitable. Do. But yeah. a top-up in midwinter doesn't hurt as well. And I would go for um, granular feeds. Yes, I do as well at this time. Of year. I agree because most of them are slow or controlled release. Controlled release, So you yeah. get nutrients right through. And I like to apply them in the autumn, the nutrients release right through sort of April and May and on into early winter, as you just said. And it's making the lawn healthier and stronger, which is a great thing. Yeah. Yeah, so that then come spring, it's just ready to go again. Totally. And I think people ignore the autumn feeding of lawns and they sort of look a bit tired by the end of summer and then they're really tired when, once you get through winter. So yeah. it's a good health revival thing. Now, the other thing to do is attack weeds in lawns in autumn. And a lot of people don't do this. The first time they realise they've got bendy eyes in the summer yes. when the little prickles come up. But what people don't realise is long before the prickles form, there's a little ferny rosette of leaves, which is the weed, and it appears in autumn and early winter. And it's such a pretty little fern. You know, that you look at it and you think, oh, what's that? And they have no idea of the pain it's going to cause. Only horticulturists could say it was pretty. I agree. I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. It's a sweet-looking little plant. And so easy to pull out at this time of the year. I mean, yeah. oh, obviously no prickles to sting your 
hands, but no. it just pulls out really, really quickly. I know. Well, what do you think? What's your philosophy? Pull it out or use a spray? You're, you're more into the manual room. I'm into way. the manual. I love okay. pulling. I go out there and pull, pull, pull all it's, the time. It's the, best, <laughs> it's the best thing to do, actually, because it's saving the environment. But the other thing I do, I'm not a great fan of a wholesale broadcast uh, lawn herbicide sprayed everywhere. If I do use a herbicide, I use a trigger pack. And a bit like you, I go around on my knees, not pulling them out necessarily, but spraying them if there is a lot. But I trigger it just at each weed. But it's a case of getting down and having a look at this time of year, isn't it? Yeah, because, absolutely. Uh, and Bindiae is an annual, so it establishes itself in autumn, comes to seed in summer and causes all those problems. So that's probably the main weed, maybe a bit of uh, clover as well. Clover's out there now. Yeah. Um, Oxalis is going. Of course. And I've just – what one of my problems – Actually, my real problem is my neighbour. But um, <laughs> let's not go there, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> but he lets his um, his uh, what do you call it? Onion weed. Oh right. Oh gosh. That Flower can, that can be shared. all through summer. At the seeds pop into my garden, and they are now putting out their leaves. Oh no! And so it's every single weekend out there. So, but a classic FM on the radio. Yes. And pulling out the weeds. That's a shared plant. You don't want the uh, no. yeah the onion weed seeds coming across and taking over. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and the other thing I was going to say in relation to our feeding topic, which we covered first up, if you feed the lawn in autumn, it keeps it denser. Then you'll have less little bare spots, and then you're less likely to get weeds. To get weeds. Because bare spots in the lawn are the friend of the weed invasion. So if yeah. you can keep it really dense and thick, that's not going to happen. Well, so. you know, it, the the bare spots occur whether you've got animal traffic, like dogs. Oh, of course. Or yeah. under trees or in shady areas. Sure. So under trees and in shady areas, you might just give up on the lawn and put in a creeper or something. Yeah, really good hint. Because wherever you've got a bare patch, you're going to get weeds. Yes, you're quite right. So if it's not the perfect environment for lawn, like in a shady patch, give up on that idea and, and plant something like dichondra that's a shade-tolerant yeah. ground cover. Yeah. Or you make it a garden bed, and I know one of your favourites is native violet because we've yes. talked about that. So there's all sorts of options in that case too. Yeah. So um, good idea. And look, I mentioned my third idea was to patch the lawn. That comes back to the bare spots that we just talked about. Um, it's a good idea to sprinkle a bit of seed if it's early in autumn, because it'll still germinate in those yep. bare spots. But you can also buy a lot of patch products. You can these get days. the patches now in, in big stores. Yeah. And this is the perfect time of the year to be doing it because it's it wonderful. sets its roots, it, it's going ready, and come winter time, it'll start consolidating. Totally. And it doesn't have to go through, like if you plant it in spring, you go immediately into the harsh summer, and that really, really hurts. Yes, a lot. you're right. It's a gentle time to do it. And I like those patch products because they've got a sort of medium which is very water holding. You only mm. really need to just scratch the surface of the soil, put them down. The seeds in there, and I think most of them contain a fertilizer as well. Yes. So you've solved all of those problems. So don't ignore your lawn in autumn is the message we're giving, I think. Yep. Keep it looking fabulous with those uh, little chores, and that way it'll come through the winter. Yes, it'll pale off a little bit, but it'll be so much stronger, and uh, you'll have something looking okay when spring comes around. You'll have it looking pretty fabulous, I'd say. Great. Now, when it comes to voracious garden pests, there's one that seems to cause Australian gardeners particular problems, and it's the possum. They're well distributed around the country they're nocturnal visitors and they really know how to make a meal of a garden. But there are a few defences you can put to work. Um, Jen, I'll start with you. Do you have any favourite possum de deterrents that you use at your place? My puppy. Oh, your puppy. My puppy. He Is it just noise or attack? He thinks it's going to be his new best friend. He's oh. up there barking his head off. Oh, of course, the possum scarpers. Yeah. He's out of there. 
What sort of dog is it? He's a poodle. Oh, right. Okay. So poodle versus possum. <laughs> poodle wins. I love the alliteration. <laughs> and do you find they attack different plants? And I know you've got mainly a lot of natives at your place. They you? love the crab apple next door. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. So I, I let them. That. I let them go with that. Okay. That's fine. They yeah. don't care. So I, I talk about the neighbours before. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Once or twice. Well, look, I have a problem because I don't have so many natives, and I have a crab apple, and you're quite right; it's one of their targets. Um, and one of the things. You can do. I mean, there's different things you can do with possums. There are also ringtail and brushtail, which have different eating habits. So it's a bit hard to to be completely um, foolproof with this. But I will mention sprays because some of them do have an effect. It's harder with trees is the problem because the trees are so tall. Well, with trees, I think the best solution there, they're not really pretty, but to wrap the trunks with um, something plastic or yes, metal. Yes, I've heard bubble wrap works as a, a oh, right. wrap because okay. I don't like that Well, that's sensation. not attractive either, but it's either way not, it stops the... Or metal, I've seen metal done yes. in parts. Now, that's a good idea for trees. Now, in terms of sprays, um, there's some smelly ones. There's one called Possoff, which has a combination <laughs> of chilli and citronella and garlic. I think it's very strong smelling. I do use it. My neighbours hate that I use it because of the smell. But the possums seem to dislike it as well. So that is something that has worked for me. Well, it does work. They don't like strong smells. So you can put in geraniums, you know, our pongy pelagonians. Oh, that's true. You can put and they also in... don't like um, thorny trees or plants, so tea trees. I mean, the birds love them because yeah. they shelter in them from other predators, but the possums don't like those either. No, that's true. Well, of course, you can take the garden approach of using plants that they don't like, um, but it's a long process to find out which ones they are. I mean, they adore magnolias. Yes. They love crab apples. They love a lot of European stuff. Yeah. But in, in terms of the smelly sprays, um, fish sauce is another one I've heard work, diluted in water and sprayed on. You know, oh. Vietnamese fish sauce, pretty strong no, smell. it's much better in my, in my cooking, I'm afraid. Than, than on, on trees. <laughs> um, the other one I've heard is lap sang sushi. Tea, you know that rather yes. tar smelling tea. Again, you make up a yeah smoky smell. You make up a a brew and spray it on. And chili spray is something else that people use. The trouble with all the sprays is they're all water soluble. So if it rains, it's gone. You, it's gone. You have to respray it. So yeah. they're just an alternative you can you can try. Um, other smells though, I hear that blood and bone puts them off. Yeah, but it puts everyone else off too. <laughs> <laughs> what, the neighbours? Yes. <laughs> but you don't like the neighbours, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, but when I have visitors and I put that down in my garden or dynamic lifter, you can smell it. It does linger, doesn't it? It does linger. Actually, dynamic lifter does put them off, but you're right. It puts you off and all your neighbours as well, but they don't like the smell of that. And the other one is camphor, things like moth. And, and and camphor, you can put some in a, a stocking or pantyhose as a little pouch and hang that in trees and apparently that's a bit of a detail. And that's a lovely smell. Oh, I do you think, think so? Oh, yes, I love it. Well, possums don't agree with you, Jen, ah, <laughs> which is a good thing. So that's the smells work. I think the most effective thing, but you can't so often do it, is a physical barrier and that's the way I've always had the most success. If the plant is small or low, like a, a group of herbs in pots, yeah. you can throw over some weed mesh or a bit of plastic, uh, a large plastic. I think, I think the physical barriers are the best, but you've yeah, got to netting. be really, really careful and make it secure because, you know, possums are creative and crafty and they'll find a way. If they want that food, they'll get it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And netting, I guess, is a good idea, but you have to be careful again that they can aren't going to get tangled in it or whatever. Yeah. But. Yeah, well, also, if you have it as frames, I mean, the netting is effective for, for all sorts of things, for mangoes, for fig trees, all those things. When those those are in fruit yeah. everywhere, 
yep. you find nettings, especially in, in neighbourhoods with lots of Mediterranean immigrants. You do, actually. I see it done commercially. I've seen it also done in home gardens. I've seen a fig tree near where I live completely netted, but it's really hard work to get the netting on. It is. So I'm not, and they are Mediterranean family. I'm not sure how they do it, but it's quite a lot of work. But if you're that dedicated and obsessed, you're going to beat the possums and the birds because nothing's going to get through that. No. So that's great. So physical barriers probably top of our list, I'd say. I think which so. Great. Yeah. yeah. Now the other things that can work: sensor lights. If I you've... think it's a bad idea. Yeah. Do you? Yes, I've never tried that one. I see it written up in literature. Well, because they capture every creature that goes through the night. So yes, you... that's true. So it's kind of you know as you're sitting there at night time, it's like fractured flickers all through. It's horrible. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a good point. And also in terms of trying to look after the planet, having electric lights, you know, giving off their carbon emissions all night long, probably not a good thing if yeah. you're a greeny gardener. So maybe not that. Tree spikes. I've had people tell me that works. And yes. just as you just said, some of the spikier trees put them off anyway. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, um, clever, crafty, and agile. Uh, those possums can can walk along a, f- a fence that's only a couple of centimetres thick. Yes, that's true. And they won't fall off. But if you put a few spikes on top of the fence, they'll, yes. they'll not manoeuvre their way through that. No, I've had friends for whom that worked really well. And across the top of fences, you're right, it's off in the right spot or along the trunks of trees works. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing I believe works, but it sounds really fiddly to apply, is Vaseline. They hate getting it on their paws. It's really sort of awful for them. So if you put Vaseline along the top of a fence or on a tree trunk, the possums dislike it. But again, pretty impractical to apply unless it's yeah, a very small area. And who is. wants big blobs of Vaseline through their flies? <laughs> Not a great idea. But anyway, it's all you can do. I know at the end of the day, a lot of horticulture say, look, just live with them and find plants that are, that are possum friendly or they don't eat. So I guess that's true. But um, it can be frustrating. And I think the things we've discussed, physical barriers, sprays and smells and tree spikes are all worth a try. Absolutely. So, so if possums are attacking your autumn garden and they love Sasanqua camellia flowers, I can vouch for that because they're eating mine right at the moment, <gasps> then now is definitely the time to um, see what you can do and I hope that's been helpful. Great. Thanks, Roger. Thanks, Jen. You're listening to Garden Better. Now, if you don't have the space or the time to grow your own vegetables, then growing some herbs is a great alternative. They don't need much space. You can grow them in pots and troughs, on a balcony, in a courtyard, even on a sunny windowsill. And they're super useful to have at hand when you're cooking. Well, here to talk all about using herbs in the kitchen is Ellie Vernon, who's the food editor at Better Homes and Gardens magazine. Hi, Elle. How are you? Hi, Rod. I'm very well. How are you? I'm doing good too. So let me kick off with an obvious question, speaking to a food editor and foodie. When it comes to herbs for the kitchen, what are some of your faves that you absolutely must have on hand at all times when you're cooking? Well, I guess um, the, I mean, I use cooking, uh, sorry, I use cooking, I use herbs mm-hmm. um, in pretty much every dish that I make. But I guess the main ones I use every day are probably the a flat leaf Italian parsley yeah, um, and mint leaves. They're my kind of go-tos. Mm-hmm. So I feel like parsley can kind of go across quite a few cuisines, as can mint. Um, yeah, I guess they're the main ones, but rosemary you just you definitely need for your potatoes. You can't have a, a roasted spud without some rosemary. Olive oil and um, sea salt and rosemary. Yeah, mm, yeah. Yum. And the main ones I have growing at home, and now, Rog, as you are well aware, I'm not the best gardener. Yeah, you're <laughs> the best cook, though, so I forgive you. <laughs> My little balcony garden, it does contain um, a – a little bit of a sad-looking bay tree at the moment, actually, because um, they're pretty handy to have 
as well, bay leaves. Mm. Uh, I've got a little pot of parsley. I've got some basil, which actually sits on my windowsill um, in the kitchen. Mm. Is that a good spot to have it? It is. I mean, basil is one of those herbs. I love it and have it all through the warm months, but as soon as winter comes on, it'll turn up its toes. So now we're in sort of autumn, you probably haven't got long for it to go, but kitchen windowsill, if it's getting sun, keep going and snipping the leaves while it's alive, yeah. Yeah, right. So when it dies, I don't have to take it personally. It's actually it's just coming to the end of its life, don't it's not take, me. <laughs> it's an annual herb. You can buy next another one next year. But if your rosemary died, I'd be more worried. That's a shrub, so you should have it forever. Yeah, right. Okay. And you know what I do actually do sometimes, Rog? I know mm-hmm. shallot isn't technically a herb, but um, I keep my little roots from the bottom of the green shallot. Oh, yeah. And then and cut off the majority of it and yes, use yes. it for cooking. Yeah. But um, the bottom of them, I, I just replant um, in my little balcony garden and they shoot up quite easily. No, great idea. They they will reshoot. And in fact, a shallot with a narrow little bulb at the bottom, if it's grown on further, it becomes a spring onion anyway. So it's a good idea. Yeah, right. and, and you just use the green stalk part as a, as a herb. The green yeah? stalks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because they're really good to use in cooking because you don't need to cook it as such. So, you know, if you're making yeah. a recipe and you need to cook off an onion, yeah. if you want to kind of cheat a step, you can just use them um chopped up green shallots and it just makes it a little bit quicker and easier. I love green shallots. I use them a lot with fish with a bit of ginger and soy. It's one of my favourite. Oh, yum, yum, yum. Anyway, it sounds sounds, Ellie, like you've got quite an active little balcony of herbs. So (laughs) while we're we're talking about them, we all associate them with savoury dishes as a rule or amateurs like like I do, Um, but they can be used in baking and desserts and all sorts of things as well, can't they? Yeah, they can. Um, I guess one of the really easy way of using them in um, a a more sweeter dish Mm -hmm. is the next time you're making a fruit platter. So especially when you've got something like a a fresh watermelon or a pineapple and you're just going to chop that up and serve it to your guests. It's a really easy option. But just to take it to that next level, next time try and just grab a handful of fresh mint leaves and then finely chop them, pop them in a little Ziploc bag and – Put, I don't know, put like a teaspoon of caster sugar in that bag too. And if you've got a lime, a bit of a zest of a lime, then seal the bag up and rub that together and you get this beautiful herbaceous um, and really fresh um, flavoured sugar. And you can sprinkle that over the top of your fruit and it just takes the fruit to the next level. It's just absolutely beautiful. It sounds and the yummy. Aroma, yeah, it's like you're on a tropical holiday over in Fiji, Rog. Wouldn't we like to be there right now? Oh, you got it. <laughs> so that's just sugar, mint leaves and zest of a lime together. Yeah, just, wow. you only need those three things. And okay. I do think it works really well with watermelon and pineapple, but you can um, you could put it on any fruit really. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the other thing, I think another herb that goes really well in dessert is mm. basil. Have you ever had a dessert with like basil, strawberries and even a bit of balsamic vinegar before, Rod? Yes, I have actually. I've had that combo and it really works to my surprise. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a bit really like kind of Italian inspired, but mm. you, if balsamic vinegar is a little bit too far of a stretch for you, you can just do some um, chopped up strawberries and some torn up basil and a, um, a drizzle of maybe vanilla essence and kind of toss it together. And then that combo you could put on top of a, a sponge cake or you could um, – just put it over some ice cream or serve it with a scone perhaps. Um, It's just really nice and fresh. And strawberries, as you well know, Mm. um, are about to come back into season for the winter month too, so they'll be delicious. Yeah, nice with strawberries, absolutely. And Elle, what what about in baking? Are there herbs you can add into your cake sort of as as, as an extra flavouring? Yeah, I I think uh, what works well in baking – 
are the more kind of woody herbs, so your rosemary, your thyme. Yes. And with Anzac Day coming up um, and even Remembrance Day back in November, I like to make my Anzac cookies with a bit of a nod to the rosemary that we use to celebrate um, and to remember. Oh, what a good idea. Mm. So rosemary works really well. You just take a few stems of the leaf and um, chop it up finely because yeah. a little goes a long way when it comes to rosemary. Yeah. And I add that to my batter when I, before I um, roll out the cookie dough. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just a really beautiful, uh, I guess, herbaceous um, depth um, which yeah works really well in the cookies. So give that a go next time you're baking, Rog. That's a nice idea. When I was at university, some of my friends used other herbs in baking, Ellie, but we won't talk about those now. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> and let's talk about using herbs in um, drinks or teas. I've often seen them as garnishes in drinks. I mean, mint leaf is a classic one um, that's used as a garnish. Mint leaf is in my favourite cocktail of all time. Which Rog's one's that? The, the- the mojito. Mint. Oh, the mojito, of course. <laughs> it's fabulous. So I see mint used a lot. And then with teas, of course, you can create a, a tisane or whatever they call, call it and, and, and chop herbs up. But are there any special yeah, ones that you mint, find work? Well, yeah, mint is really good. The only thing with, with mint, it just doesn't look so pretty when it gets warm, when it gets heated. Yeah, the leaf goes dark really quickly. Mm. Um, so I do find that mint is for a more, um, I guess, beautiful-looking drink, yeah. best to use it for cold drinks. But yeah. if you don't care what it looks like, it's yeah, really nice in like a lemon, a fresh lemon tea. Um, but the other herb that I do like to use in drinks too is lemon thyme. So yes. I don't know how many how many varieties of thyme are there. Oh, be a lot, wouldn't I there? couldn't tell you, but there are a lot. And there are different colours. They're often used just as ornamentals in the gun. There's silver thyme and there's dark green thyme and there's variegated thyme. And then there's all the yeah, different right. flavours. There's, as you yeah. say, lemon and uh, all sorts of other things, yeah. Well, the, yeah, I find the lemon thyme works really well. And um, sometimes when I've got a lot of that growing at home in my mm. little balcony garden, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll pick that and I'll actually make a sugar syrup with it. And I can use that then for the base of um, just like I kind of make, I guess, my own homemade cordial with that. Oh, so you okay. just get some caster sugar and a bit of water and then you put all your washed thyme leaves in there yeah. and um, just bring it to a boil gently. And I just simmer it for a little while so the flavours can really infuse into that sugar. And then that's just really yummy once it's cooled down, um, added to like some sparkling mineral water, maybe mm. with some fresh passion fruit pulp and some fresh lemon juice and some ice. Um, that's just a nice refreshing drink. Wow, that sounds fabulous. I did have a friend, you said uh, mint doesn't look very nice, that's true, um, and they used to make their own fresh mint tea and it was yes. fabulous. But, yes, they'd uh, chop up lots of leaves. I think it was just the leaves um, boiling water, steeped in boiling water and they added a little bit of sugar and it was pretty delicious, I've got to say. It is pretty good, yeah. A lot of the Middle Eastern countries do love their mint tea too. It's um, quite standard for them and um, I quite enjoy it myself. (laughs) Yeah, I like the sound of your cordial there. Now, Ellie, people have different size herb gardens. Some will have a whole patch to grow in and others will only have a few pots. But if you end up producing a lot of herbs, and it's kind of easy to do because things like mint go absolutely crazy and take over, um, are there any good hints you can give us as a foodie for storing or drying or freezing them? Can you freeze herbs? Yeah, I think... uh with um, the best way to kind of work with them is if you kind of divide them into their um, low moisture herbs. So there are your things like yeah, your rosemary, your oregano, your thyme, your mm-hmm. marjoram. Mm-hmm. I've had success drying them out if you hang them upside down in um, your kitchen, mm-hmm. and I think it probably take about three weeks. It depends on what time of the year it is too. 
but they can just dry out upside down and they just look so beautiful in your kitchen. It's very ornate and you get these beautiful aromas as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do find that just drying those herbs out is kind of the easiest way to to preserve them for later on in the year. But those more kind of high moisture uh, herbs like your basil and your mint and your parsley, your chives, Mm -hmm. what I do with them, I chop them up really finely And then I just put them into ice cubes and I kind of half fill or maybe three quarters fill the ice cube. Mm -hmm. And then you can either top it up with some extra virgin olive oil or just some um, stock. They could use chicken stock or vegetable stock Mm -hmm. and then freeze them. And then once they're frozen, pop them into little Ziploc bags and label them with, you know, what they are. But they're really good, say, if you're just um, boiling some broccoli and some beans for your dinner. Once you've boiled your veggies, you drain them off, then put your ice cube of either olive oil and mint or your, um, might be, I don't know, um, basil and stock. And then you just toss it through your steamed veggies and it obviously melts. And it's just this beautiful, um, I guess, kind of fresh element that you're adding to your veggies. Wow, that's Plus they're good for you too. They're high high in nutrients. So that's another additional little bonus. That's a fantastic idea. So just in your ice cube trays and you've got a little, it's it's almost, I was going to say it's like a stock cube, but it's like a stock cube for your vegetables after you've drained them. You toss it in and you've got flavour and the olive oil sounds like a good idea because it'll also moisten the veggies too, yeah? Yeah, 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 yeah. And look, and the other thing you can do too if you want to use them for drinks because I find ice cubes with um, little leaves of herbs can be really beautiful and ornate for if you are serving like a jug of cordial, oh, even yeah. if it's just a jug of water to your guests. They look beautiful. Um, if you use water that has been boiled first, you'll actually find that the ice cubes, when you freeze them, won't be cloudy. Because you know how okay. sometimes ice cubes go cloudy? Yes, if you yes, boil yes. the water first, they'll be more clear. So you can mm. actually see your beautiful herb leaves in them. Herb impressed in it. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. A little hot tip for you, Rog. That's a hot tip for next time. I'm entertaining <laughs> with perfectly formed ice cubes in my cool summer drinks, yeah? <laughs> I have to tell you, Roger, one thing that you told me many years ago, and um, I will never forget, you said to me with my basil that if I wanted to harvest a lot of it, now I've got to remember if I'm remembering this correctly, but if you wanted to harvest a lot of it, to do it in the morning. Yes, and it is the best time. Why yeah. is that? I never actually asked you, but are you impressed that I've remembered that? I am <laughs> highly impressed that you remember that. But can I tell you, Elliot, many years working with you as a food editor on the Better Homes and Gardens magazine, I absorbed an awful lot of food hints from you too, which I apply all the time. So oh, it's good, been a, it's, good. it's been a two-way street. And I'm impressed to hear that you've got a bay tree even on your balcony because they're fresh bay leaves. And I think you were the person who introduced me to fresh bay leaves, only new dried ones in cooking. Um, they just have so much flavour, don't they? You only need one or they two. They do. They're, they're pretty potent, yeah, which is good. Yeah. Um, but they are, yeah, my, my tree at the moment has got a bit of a disease and it's got a black spot all over it. Um, Ooh, that so sounds I'm like, not quite that's, sure if it's too far gone. <laughs> it sounds like it might have scale and then you get a sooty black mould that grows after that. So that might that's be That's what it looks like, actually. We'll, yep. we'll yep. talk off air, Ellie, and I'll, I'll solve your herb problems in exchange for some more of your <laughs> wonderful food. So we'll do a deal. How's it sound? Sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> well, so nice to talk to you. I think herbs are wonderful. And just listening to the fact that you produce all those things on a balcony just reminds me they're very versatile. You don't need to have a garden. It can be pots and you don't need to, to have much space. It's it's a great thing to do. So thanks for all those inspiring ideas. It's been lovely to talk to you. Thanks for having me, Rod. Thanks, Ellie. Bye-bye.
Hi, Milton. How are you today? Very well, thanks, Jenny. And what a wonderful couple of weeks we've got ahead of us because it's good for moon planting. Okay, do tell. This is the month the moon is ready and saying to gardeners, hey, get your bulbs in because it's the last chance you're going to get to have those bulbs in before spring comes up. So this is the time to put those bulbs in the ground and I'll give you the days that you're going to do it. First of all, today, the moon is in Leo. So the 14th, the moon's in Leo. 15th, it moves into Virgo. 16th, it's in Virgo. And these two days, you prepare your ground, get it all ready to put those bulbs in and other plants too, for that matter. But when you start planting, it won't happen until the 18th on Thursday. But what you can do on the 17th, you can transplant some of those shrubs that you're thinking about transplanting, whether they be trees, whether they be shrubs or plants of any form, transplant them on the 17th because when the moon goes into the fertile sign of Libra on the 18th, that is the perfect day for any above-ground crops and it also gives the transplanted crops time to move along. But if you want to plant those lettuces, the, the cauliflowers, the silver beet, the spinach, anything that grows above the ground, you've got the last day to do it this month, and that's on the 18th, Thursday the 18th. Now, remember, the full moon comes in on the 18th. You don't plant anything on the full moon. However, you can rip around your garden and get those weeds out if you want to. No planting. But on the 20th, Saturday and Sunday the 21st, perfect for planting those bulbs. Now, that's the bulb size. The, the the weekend, get those bulbs into the ground. That's the last time you're going to have an opportunity this month. Also, you can put your beetroot, your carrots, your parsnip, anything that grows below the ground goes into that ground on the, um, the 20th and the 21st. Then the moon moves into Sagittarius on the 22nd. That's a non-fertile sign. And on the 23rd, which is the moon's in Sagittarius, ready to move into uh, the 24th, which is in Capricorn, a very fertile sign. You can transplant again on the 23rd. And I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll let gardeners even put their bulbs in. If they missed out on the 20th and 24th, they can put them in on the 24th and 25th. Those are the last final days. Yeah, that's excellent. Final. Now, after that, of course, no planting at all for the remaining part of the month. However, the big moon says, right, we're decreasing now. You can spray and you can spray on the 28th. The 28th, do all your spraying in your garden and don't forget those hydrangeas. If they've got a little bit of, um, you know, mildew on the on the leaves and that, that's the time to get stuck into those. Uh, I wouldn't prune. You could prune, but I wouldn't prune there. I'd just spray. Get that mildew off. So spray your hydrangeas or anything, insects and that. Spray on the, uh, the noon and Aquarius. Perfect, perfect day for spraying. So really, you've got the best of both worlds this week. Well, the next two weeks, you've got your above ground on the 17th, 18th, and then all below, especially the bulbs between the 20th running through to about the 25th. But um, after that, after the last quarter of the moon on the 27th, that's uh, no planting left for the rest of the month. Okay. Now, Milton, you're talking about the full moon there. Now, full moon to me means romance. Now, I heard you talking before um, about a love garden. Can you explain to me what that is? Yes. Now, this is an old tale from way, way back. 
And they, they used to do this years and years ago. And especially people who aren't in a relationship or are single and want a relationship. And you say, goodness gracious, I can't find a partner. Well, you plant a love garden and use a little bit of moon magic. So when you have your little bit of uh, magical love garden, what you do, you get a clay pot, nice big clay pot, and you fill it up with good soil. Then you get a little clump of basil, lavender, and catnip, those three. First of all, you put the lavender in the middle, and then you plant around the lavender with your catnip, and then another row around behind that with basil. And when it comes into a full plant, it attracts love into the house and love into the person. That's what the old wife's tale says. Now, I can tell you this. If you don't attract a lover, you're certainly going to attract all the neighbor's cats because they love that catnip. <laughs> so it's sure. moon magic for moggies, right? That's right, moon magic for moggies. But actually, it's an old wise tale. So if you're having trouble with your love life, don't forget the clay pod. Fill the, the, in the middle, you put that uh, lavender. Then around it, you put your catnip. And around that, again, you put your basil. And uh, it, it's supposed to work. I don't know. I've been married 57 years, and I don't uh, have any requirement for that at the moment. But perhaps I might uh, try it out. It might bring a new love into my life, Sarah's my wife is concerned. Oh, I'm not sure whether we should go there. Anyway, Milton, <laughs> thanks very much. We'll talk to you soon. You're welcome, Jen. Thanks for listening to Gardening Better. It's been such a great episode, Roger. It's been great. Great to chat to you, Jen. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe so other garden lovers can find our podcast too. Yes, we'd love to hear from you. Great. Okay, we'll speak to you again next time. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.